If you're enjoying this Crush Step 1 podcast, you can now get the content along with the content of the Med Prep to Go Step 1 Questions podcast ad-free in one bundle. Just go to medpreptogo.com and find our new subscription podcast called the Med Prep to Go Step 1 Bundle. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Ted O'Connell, one of the authors of Crush Step 1, the ultimate USMLE Step 1 review, along with my co-authors, Ryan Pedigo and Thomas Blair. I am also the chief content officer for Inside the Boards. This is a Crush Step 1 podcast based on the second edition of our best-selling book. The goal is to provide you high-yield and high-quality audio content of the book to help you study on the go and reclaim some of the time in your day. Hey everybody, and welcome back to the microbiology chapter of Crush Step 1. This is Mimi narrating Part 7. In our discussion of antimicrobials, we will cover antibiotics, antivirals, and antifungals. Antiprotozoal and antihelminthic agents are not covered here because they are not generally considered high yield for Step 1. Let's begin with a discussion of antibiotics, which can be broadly classified as either bacteriostatic, meaning they inhibit the replication and growth of bacteria without killing them, or bactericidal, which means they do kill bacteria. Whether or not an agent is able to kill bacteria outright is usually determined by how it acts on the bacteria, such that families of antibiotics that share a similar mechanism of action can be broadly classified as shown in Table 5-6. Let's start by discussing penicillins, specifically penicillin G, which is given IV, and penicillin V, which is given orally. We will use the following order in our discussion. First, we'll discuss mechanisms, then coverage, then resistance, and then toxicity of each of the different types of penicillins. Starting with penicillin G and penicillin V, the mechanism is number one, to bind penicillin binding proteins, or PBPs, which synthesize peptidoglycan in bacterial cell walls as shown in figure 590. Number two, they competitively inhibit transpeptidase cross-linking of cell walls. And number three, they activate autolytic enzymes. Their coverage includes gram-positive organisms including strep pneumo, 
group A strep, such as strep pyogenes, as well as actinomyces and syphilis. Their resistance is broad because of penicillinase, also known as beta-lactamase, as well as altered porins and altered PBPs. Toxicity to penicillins includes hypersensitivity reaction and hemolytic anemia. Penicillin allergies are mediated by type 1 hypersensitivity reactions directed against penicillin-derived haptin protein complexes. There is a 5-10% to chance of cross-reactivity with cephalosporins and carbapenems as a result of their similar beta-lactam ring structures. Let's move on to amino penicillins, which include ampicillin, given IV and orally, as well as amoxicillin, which is given orally. Their mechanisms are the same as penicillin. Their coverage is the same as penicillin, plus some gram-negative rods, including H. flu, E. coli, Listeria monocytogenes, Proteus mirabilis, Salmonella, and Enterococci. Their resistance includes penicillinase, altered porins, and altered PBPs. Toxicity includes hypersensitivity reaction, pseudomembranous colitis, ampicillin rash, especially when given to a patient with infectious mononucleosis. Next, let's discuss penicillinase-resistant penicillins, specifically methicillin, nafcillin, oxacillin, which is given IV, cloxacillin, dicloxacillin, which is given orally. Their mechanisms are also the same as penicillins. Their coverage is the same as penicillins, plus coverage for methicillin-sensitive staph aureus, also known as MSSA. Mechanisms of resistance include altered porins for gram-negative only, and altered PBPs for MRSA. Their toxicity includes hypersensitivity reaction, as well as methicillin interstitial nephritis. Next, let's discuss anti-pseudomonal penicillins, including ticaricillin, piperacillin, which are given IV, and carbenicillin, which is given orally. Mechanisms are also the same as penicillins. Coverage is the same, plus coverage for pseudomonas, gram-negative rods, and anaerobes such as Bacteroides fragilis. Mechanisms of resistance include beta-lactamase, altered porins, and altered PBPs, and toxicity includes a hypersensitivity reaction. Next, let's discuss cephalosporins. Mechanisms are, number one, to inhibit the cell wall synthesis in a similar manner to penicillin, and number two, modifying the beta-lactam ring to be resistant to penicillinases, as shown in figure 5-7. Their coverage includes gram-positive, but this coverage diminishes, whereas gram-negative coverage improves with each generation of cephalosporins. Mechanisms of resistance include cephalosporinases, altered porins, and altered PBPs. Toxicity includes hypersensitivity reactions, increasing the nephrotoxicity of aminoglycosides, impaired vitamin K-dependent clotting factor synthesis, as well as disulfiram-like reaction with alcohol use. This only applies to cephalosporins containing methylthiotetrazole, or MTT, as a side chain. Next, let's discuss monobactams, specifically astrionam, which can be given IV or IM. The mechanism is to inhibit cell wall synthesis by binding to PBP3. Coverage includes gram-negative aerobic bacteria only, and it has no activity against gram-positive bacteria or anaerobes. It does not bind PBPs of anaerobes or gram-positive bacteria for resistance. Toxicity includes GI upset, but does not include cross-hypersensitivity with penicillins or cephalosporins. 
As trionam is often used in patients with a penicillin allergy who cannot tolerate beta-lactam antibiotics, or in patients with renal insufficiency who cannot tolerate aminoglycosides. Next, let's discuss carbapenems, which include imipenem, silastatin, miropenem, ertapenem, and doripenem, which are given IV or IM. Their mechanisms are as follows. Number one, to inhibit cell wall synthesis in a manner similar to penicillin. Number two, modified structure to be highly resistant to beta-lactamases. And number three, in reference to silastatin, it inhibits renal tubular dihydropeptidase 1, which breaks down imipenem to toxic metabolites, and thus when administered together, imipenem and silastatin's half-life is increased and its nephrotoxicity is reduced. Carbapenem coverage includes broad-spectrum gram-positive, gram-negative, and anaerobic coverage. It does not cover MRSA. Erdapenem specifically does not cover pseudomonas. Carbapenem resistance includes carbapenemases, which are metallo-beta-lactamases such as New Delhi metallo-beta-lactamase 1 or NDM1. Carbapenem toxicity includes GI upset when infused rapidly, skin rash, CNS toxicity at high plasma levels which manifests as seizures, and has a reduced risk with meropenem, as well as a hypersensitivity reaction. Before we move on to the next section about anti-ribosomal antibiotics, I would like to go over the Table 5-7 about the different generations of cephalosporins. I will name the generation first, followed by the organisms that it covers, followed by the most important drugs that you will see included in that generation. So let's start with first-generation cephalosporins, which cover gram-positive cocci, Proteus mirabilis, E. coli, and Klebsiella pneumoniae, and which include, most importantly, cephalexin and cefazolin. Second-generation cephalosporins have less coverage for gram-positive cocci, but they also cover H. flu, Enterobacter erogenes, Neisseria species, Proteus mirabilis, E. coli, Klebsiella pneumoniae, and serratia and most importantly includes cefoxetin and cefotetan. Third generation has much greater gram-negative than gram-positive coverage, and includes ceftriaxone and ceftazidime most commonly. Fourth generation has broad gram-positive and gram-negative coverage, as well as pseudomonas coverage, and includes cefepime. And fifth generation cephalosporins, finally, have also broad gram-positive and gram-negative coverage, and include ceftaroline, ceftolazane, and sofdipirol. Next, let's discuss antiribosomal antibiotics. Starting with the aminoglycosides, which include gentamicin, amikacin, streptomycin, which is given IV, neomycin, which is given topically, IV, and orally, tobramycin, which is given IV and through inhalation, and neosporin. Using the same pattern, we will discuss mechanisms, coverage, resistance, and toxicity. Mechanisms of aminoglycosides include number one, to irreversibly bind to the 30S subunit of the ribosome and inhibit formation of the initiation complex. Number two, they cause errors of RNA reading and translocation with premature termination. Number three, they require oxygen for uptake into bacteria, limited by diffusion across the cell wall. Number four, complete renal excretion, which means it crosses into CNS only if the meninges are inflamed. Aminoglycosides cover gram-negative aerobic bacteria. 
They are active against gram-positive bacteria as well and synergistic with beta-lactam antibiotics, but they have limited use on this front because alternatives are less toxic. They have no activity against anaerobes or abscesses because uptake is through an oxygen-dependent mechanism. Neomycin given orally to kill bowel flora is poorly absorbed but useful in hepatic encephalopathy and before bowel surgery. Nebulized tobramycin used in cystic fibrosis is because of its activity against pseudomonas. Resistance mechanisms of aminoglycosides include alteration of the ribosomal binding site, decreased membrane permeability, aminoglycoside inactivating enzymes by acetylation, phosphorylation, as well as adenylation. Toxicity of aminoglycosides includes nephrotoxicity, vestibular and ototoxicity, especially in combination with loop diuretics, neuromuscular blockade, as well as being a teratogen. Next, let's discuss tetracyclines, which include tetracycline, doxycycline, minocycline, demeclocycline, which are all given orally, IV, and topically, as well as tigicycline, which is given IV. Mechanisms are to reversibly bind to the 30S subunit and prevent aminoacyl tRNA binding to the ribosome RNA complex. This causes inhibition of the protein residue elongation. Number two, oral tetracyclines chelated by divalent cations cannot be taken with food, milk, and acids, or iron, calcium, or magnesium-containing supplements. Number three, they undergo enterohepatic recirculation. Only doxycycline is eliminated, eliminated in the stool and is thus safe in renal disease. Tetracyclines cover intracellular pathogens including rickettsia and chlamydia, spirochetes including Borrelia, Leptospira, and Treponema pallidum, and specific pathogens including Mycoplasma pneumoniae, H. pylori, Entamoeba histolytica, Brucella, Nocardia, and Propionibacterium in inflammatory acne. Tigicycline is an IV-only glycocycline derivative with broad-spectrum coverage even against MRSA and VRE. Tetracycline resistance is through drug efflux pumps, ribosomal binding site alteration and accommodation, and tetracycline inactivating enzymes through the mechanism of acetylation. Tetracycline toxicity includes pill esophagitis, GI upset, phototoxic dermatitis, and Fanconi syndrome with the use of expired drugs. It also causes discoloration of teeth and inhibited bone growth in children, and it is also a teratogen. Moving on, we'll discuss macrolides, which include erythromycin, azithromycin, which are given PO and IV, as well as clarithromycin, which is also given orally. Mechanisms are number one, to reversibly bind to the 23S rRNA of the 50S subunit and block translocation, causing inhibition of protein synthesis. Number two, to undergo enterohepatic recirculation and to be metabolized by the cytochrome P450 system. And number three, macrolides are potent inhibitors of the CYP450 system, leading to many drug-drug interactions. Their coverage is Atypical organisms include Legionella, Mycoplasma, Chlamydia, and some gram-positive cocci, mainly Streptococcus. Mechanisms of resistance include methylation of the 23-SRRNA binding site, macrolide inactivating enzymes through esterification and phosphorylation, and drug efflux pumps. Toxicity includes GI upset, 
QT interval prolongation, acute cholestatic jaundice and hepatitis, eosinophilia, and skin rashes, as well as being a CYP450 inhibitor, therefore increasing the serum concentration of some chemotherapeutic drugs, such as theophylline, warfarin, and clopidogrel. Erythromycin, and to a lesser degree other macrolides, is an agonist of motilin receptors in the GI tract that stimulate peristalsis and gastric emptying, making it useful in the treatment of gastroparesis or during esophago-gastroduodenoscopy. Telithromycin is an oral ketolide derivative with coverage similar to the macrolides plus improved activity against strep pneumo but may be hepatotoxic. Next, let's discuss amphenicols, which includes only chloramphenicol, given PO and IV. The mechanism is number one, to irreversibly bind to the 50S subunit and inhibit peptidyl transferase activity. Number two, it's metabolized and completely inactivated by glucouronation in the liver, and metabolites in the IV form are extreted by the kidneys. Number three, it is lipid-soluble with excellent tissue penetration, including the CNS. Chloramphenicol coverage includes broad-spectrum activity against gram-positive, gram-negative, and anaerobic organisms. It has low cost, but it has limited use outside of developing countries because of its high toxicity, which we will discuss in a moment. Mechanisms of resistance include reduced membrane permeability, inactivating enzyme called chloramphenicol acetyltransferase, and ribosomal binding site alteration. Toxicity includes dose-dependent bone marrow suppression and anemia or pancytopenia, dose-dependent aplastic anemia, gray baby syndrome, which manifests as ashen gray skin discoloration, cyanosis, vomiting, and vasomotor collapse, and is caused by drug accumulation in infants because they lack sufficient levels of liver UDP glucuronal transferase in order to metabolize the drug. Chloramphenicol is still the drug of choice in the following scenarios. Number one, bacterial meningitis in a patient known to have allergies to penicillins or cephalosporins. Number two, rickettsial infections in children and pregnant women where tetracyclines should be avoided. And number three, brain abscesses caused by staphylococcus or mixed flora. Next, let's discuss lincosamides, which includes clindamycin, which can be given orally, IV, or topically. The mechanism of clindamycin is to irreversibly bind to the 50S subunit and block peptide bond formation and translocation, causing inhibition of protein synthesis. Clindamycin covers anaerobes, including bacteroides and clostridium perfringens, as well as some aerobic gram-positive organisms including strep species and staph species, including MRSA but not enterococcus. Mechanisms of resistance to clindamycin include the methylation of the 23S rRNA binding site, ribosomal structural alteration, lincosamide inactivating enzymes by adenylation, as well as intrinsic resistance because of poor permeability through the outer membrane. This applies to gram-negatives only. Clindamycin toxicity includes pseudomembranous colitis, diarrhea, and rash. Because clindamycin is ineffective against enterococci and most aerobic gram-negative bacteria, it is often more effective when used to treat anaerobic infections originating above the diaphragm, for example, aspiration pneumonia and abscesses of the lung, teeth, or skin. 
This is in contrast to metronidazole, which is often more effective when used to treat anaerobic infections originating below the diaphragm, such as pseudomembranous colitis, bacterial vaginosis, and abdominal penetrating wounds. Next, let's discuss oxazolidinones, which includes linazolid, which can be given orally or IV. The mechanism of linazolid is to irreversibly bind to the 50S subunit and prevent formation of the initiation complex, and the bioavailability is equivalent between the oral and IV forms. Linazolid covers gram-positive bacteria including methicillin and vancomycin-resistant organisms. It has no activity against most gram-negative organisms. Resistance to linazolid is through a point mutation in the 23S rRNA, as well as intrinsic resistance resulting from drug efflux pumps, and this applies to gram-negatives only. Linazolid toxicity includes bone marrow suppression and thrombocytopenia or pancytopenia, as well as headache, GI upset, and serotonin syndrome in combination with MAOIs or SSRIs. Both linazolid and clindamycin are often used in the treatment of exotoxin-producing strep and staph infections, such as toxic shock syndrome and group A strep infections, because they inhibit the production of exotoxins. Next, let's move on to streptogramins which include quinupristin and dalfopristin, both given IV. Dalfopristin irreversibly binds to the 23S rRNA of the 50S subunit, inhibiting peptidyl transferase activity and causing a conformational change allowing quinupristin to bind more avidly to a nearby site of the 50S subunit. Quinupristin reversibly binds to the 50S subunit, blocks polypeptide elongation, and causes premature termination and release. Quinupristin and dalfopristin cover gram-positive organisms including group A strep, staph including MRSA, and enterococcus including VRE, but only enterococcus faecium and not enterococcus faecalis. Streptogramin inactivating enzymes resist the drug by acetylation, methylation of the 23S rRNA binding site, and drug efflux pumps. Quinupristin-dalfopristin toxicity includes GI upset, myalgias and arthralgias, rash, hyperbilirubinemia, and thrombophlebitis. That's it for antiribosomal antibiotics. Next, we'll move on to discuss miscellaneous antibiotics, starting with glycopeptides, which includes vancomycin, given IV or orally. The mechanism of vancomycin is, number one, to inhibit cell wall synthesis by binding D-alanine, the substrate of the enzyme that penicillin antibiotics inhibit. And number two, the IV-administered drug is excreted renally, whereas the orally-administered drug is not absorbed by the GI tract and attains high stool concentrations. Vancomycin covers gram-positive bacteria, including MRSA. The oral form can be used to treat Clostridium difficile pseudomembranous colitis, and the large molecular structure of vancomycin means it cannot be systemically absorbed from the gut. Vancomycin resistance includes terminal mucopeptide amino acid alteration to D-lactate or D-serine, as well as the outer membrane being impermeable to glycopeptides in the case of gram-negative bacteria. Vancomycin toxicity is characterized by Redman syndrome, an idiosyncratic reaction to a rapid IV infusion of the drug causing histamine release. Vancomycin can also cause reversible hearing loss, nephrotoxicity, thrombophlebitis at the infusion site, and it has no cross-hypersensitivity with penicillins or cephalosporins. Next, let's discuss lipopeptides, which includes daptomycin, given IV. 
The mechanism of daptomycin is number one, to inhibit bacterial DNA, RNA, and protein synthesis by forming ion channels in the cell membrane that sap the membrane potential. Number two, it is 92% protein-bound, not extensively metabolized and renally excreted. Number three, it binds avidly to pulmonary surfactant and does not penetrate lung tissue very well. Daptomycin coverage includes gram-positive bacteria, including methicillin-resistant and vancomycin-resistant organisms. It cannot be used to treat pneumonia. Daptomycin resistance is uncommon and the mechanism is unknown. And daptomycin toxicity includes rash, constipation, nausea, headache, insomnia, rash or injection site reactions, and rarely a myopathy or rhabdomyolysis. This has an increased risk if the patient is concurrently using a statin. Next, let's discuss the anti-metabolites. This includes trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, which can be given IV or PO, as well as dapsone, sulfoxone, and sulfadiazine, all given orally. The mechanisms are as follows. Number one, sulfonamides are para-aminobenzoic acid, or PABA, anti-metabolites that act as competitive inhibitors of dihydropteroate synthetase to inhibit dihydrofolate synthesis. Number two, trimethoprim inhibits dihydrofolate reductase to block conversion from dihydrofolate to tetrahydrofolate, as seen in figure 591. Number three, tetrahydrofolate is a crucial cofactor in the synthesis of purine nucleotides. Animal cells require folate from the diet rather than relying on dihydrofolate synthesis. Antimetabolites cover gram-positive and gram-negative for a wide range of pathogens notably strep pneumo, H. flu, Shigella, Salmonella, E. coli, Neisseria gonorrhea, Chlamydia, Nocardia, and some fungal infections, including pneumocystis gyrovicii, Toxoplasma gondii, and Isospora belli. Resistance to antimetabolites is because of mutation in the enzymes that the antimetabolites bind to. Antimetabolite toxicity includes bone marrow suppression with megaloblastic anemia, leukopenia, and granulocytopenia. All can be alleviated with supplementation of folinic acid, called leucovorin rescue. Toxicity also includes hypersensitivity reactions, tubulointerstitial nephritis, photosensitivity, a skin rash including severe reactions such as Stevens-Johnson syndrome or toxic epidermal necrolysis, as well as erythema multiforme. Toxicity also includes hemolysis with G6PD deficiency, and toxicity includes displacing albumin-bound molecules, causing hyperbilirubinemia and kernicterus in infants, and increasing plasma concentrations of drugs such as warfarin, phenytoin, and methotrexate. Sulfa drug allergies are mediated by type 1 hypersensitivity reactions against the common sulfonamide functional groups shared by a number of drugs such as sulfonamide antibiotics, sulfasalazine, sulfonylureas, thiazide diuretics, acetazolamide, furosemide, celecoxib, and probenicid. Next, let's discuss the quinolones, including ciprofloxacin, levofloxacin, and moxifloxacin, which can all be given PO, IV, and some ophthalmically. The mechanism of quinolones is number one, to inhibit DNA gyrase, also known as topoisomerase 2, causing DNA double-stranded breaks. Number two, fourth-generation fluoroquinolones also inhibit topoisomerase 4, causing additional inhibition of DNA replication in gram-positive bacteria. Number three, enterohepatic circulation results in high stool concentrations. 
These drugs have high tissue penetration and are renally excreted, resulting in high urine concentrations. Quinolone coverage has a spectrum of activity which determines the generation, with higher generations having expanded coverage, as we'll see in Table 5.8. First-generation quinolones have narrow gram-negative coverage and cover enterobacteria such as Salmonella, Shigella, Campylobacter, and E. coli. The second-generation quinolones, which are fluoroquinolones, are the same as the first generation, but they also cover atypicals such as Legionella, Mycoplasma, and Chlamydia, as well as Brucella and atypical Mycobacteria. Second-generation fluoroquinolones include ciprofloxacin and norfloxacin. Third-generation fluoroquinolones are the same as the second generation, plus moderate coverage for strep, including strep pneumo, and this generation includes levofloxacin. Fourth-generation fluoroquinolones are the same as the third generation, plus they also cover anaerobes, and this generation includes moxifloxacin and gemifloxacin. Resistance to fluoroquinolones occurs through mutations in topoisomerase 2 or 4, drug efflux pumps, and protective DNA gyrase-binding proteins in gram-negative bacteria. Toxicity includes GI upset, tendinitis or tendon rupture, cramps and myalgias, headache, tremor, insomnia, superinfections with C. diff or MRSA, QT interval prolongation, most often in moxifloxacin, cartilage damage in animal studies, and thus they are contraindicated in pregnant women and children, and specific toxicities include hyper- and hypoglycemia, mostly in gadafloxacin, which is now ophthalmically administered only, as well as hepatotoxicity, most often in trovafloxacin. This has caused their systemic forms to be removed from the market. Next, let's discuss nitroimidazoles or nitrofurans, which include metronidazole given orally IV or topically, as well as nitrofurantoin given orally. Mechanisms of nitroimidazoles and nitrofurans include number one, non-enzymatically reduced intracellularly to form nitroso-intermediates and thioester linkages that deactivate and damage numerous enzymes, and number two, reactive drug metabolites combine with DNA to create unstable molecules and cause oxidative damage. These drugs cover E. coli and Staph saprophyticus in the case of nitrofurantoin, and Giardia, Entamoeba, Trichomonas, Gardnerella vaginalis, H. pylori, and enteric anaerobes in the case of metronidazole. Resistance to these drugs is a multi-step reduction in pathways responsible for the cellular uptake of the drug as seen in figure 592. Toxicity includes a disulfiram-like reaction with alcohol use, headache, a metallic taste, sensory neuropathy, and thrombophlebitis with the IV form. Nitrofurantoin can trigger hemolysis in G6PD deficiency and can cause pulmonary fibrosis with prolonged use. Nitrofurantoin does not achieve sufficient concentrations for bactericidal activity in any body tissues or fluids except for the urine, so it can only be used to treat lower UTIs. It is often used in pregnant women who are unable to use fluoroquinolones or trimethoprim for this purpose. A brief note on H. pylori treatment follows. Helicobacter pylori is treated using one of three protocols, triple therapy, which includes a proton pump inhibitor, amoxicillin, and clarithromycin, is usually first line, quadruple therapy, which includes PPI, bismuth, metronidazole, or tetracycline, is second line, or sequential therapy, 
This means a PPI and amoxicillin first, then a PPI, clarithromycin, and tinidazole if clarithromycin resistance is suspected. Let's move on from the nitroimidazoles to polymyxins. This class includes polymyxin B, colistin, and polymyxin E, and these are both given IV, inhaled, or topically. Mechanisms of polymyxins are number one, they bind to lipopolysaccharide and cause detergent-like outer and inner membrane disruption, and number two, they are not absorbed from the GI tract. They cover gram-negative bacteria only. Their use is limited to resistant organisms such as multidrug-resistant pseudomonas and carbapenemase-producing enterobacteria because of their high toxicity levels. Polymyxin resistance occurs through modification of the LPS binding site, and polymyxin toxicity includes neurotoxicity and acute tubular necrosis, which can lead to renal failure. Next, let's discuss monoxycarbolic acids, which include mupirocin, which is given topically. Mupirocin reversibly binds to isoleucyl tRNA synthetase, resulting in inhibition of ligase activity and protein synthesis, as seen in figure 590. Mupirocin covers gram-positive skin flora and strep and staph, including MRSA. Mupirocin resistance occurs through modification of the isoleucyl tRNA synthetase binding site and acquisition of a MUPA isoleucine synthetase gene. Toxicity to mupirocin includes rash and pain at the application site. Table 5.9 covers treatment for pseudomonas, anaerobes, MRSA, VRE, Acetobacter bomanii, and carbapenemase-producing enterobacteria. Let's get started by discussing antimicrobial drugs, starting with isoniazid, also known as INH. INH can be given PO, IM, or IV, and the mechanisms are, number one, it inhibits the synthesis of mycolic acid required for the mycobacterial cell wall. Number two, it requires bacterial catalase peroxidase to convert INH into an active metabolite. And number three, it is metabolized in the liver through acetylase enzymes that are also involved in alcohol metabolism. It covers both intracellular and extracellular mycobacterium tuberculosis, but most non-tuberculous mycobacteria are resistant to it. Mechanisms of resistance to INH include loss or alteration of bacterial catalase peroxidase, as well as overexpression or structural alterations in the mycolic acid pathway targets. Mechanisms of toxicity include neurotoxicity, which manifests as peripheral neuropathy and CNS disturbances, including seizures, depression, ataxia, and nystagmus, as well as toxicity in other organ systems such as hepatotoxicity, drug-induced lupus, sideroblastic anemia, anion gap metabolic acidosis, and a pellagra skin rash. Isoniazid demonstrates a bimodal population distribution in plasma half-life because of the different metabolic rates of the two predominant acetylase enzyme isoforms, which are slow versus fast acetylators. INH can cause a functional pyridoxine or vitamin B6 deficiency by binding to pyridoxine and inhibiting the formation of the active cofactor. Side effects during treatment with INH as a result of B6 deficiency, which include peripheral neuropathy, seizures, metabolic acidosis, rash, and sideroblastic anemia, can be prevented or ameliorated by supplementing vitamin B6. Next, let's discuss rifamycins, which include rifampin, rifabutin, which are given PO and IV, as well as rifaximin, given PO. Mechanisms are number one, to inhibit DNA-dependent RNA polymerase. 
Number two, they are metabolized in the liver through the CYP450 system. They act as a potent inducer of this system, causing increased metabolism of both itself and other drugs sharing the same elimination pathway. Rifamycins cover mycobacterium tuberculosis and atypical mycobacteria. And there is variable resistance among the mycobacterium avium or MAC complex. These drugs have wide gram-positive and gram-negative coverage, though they are not often used to treat these infections. Mechanisms of resistance include structural modification of RNA polymerase. Resistance develops predictably and rapidly, so you cannot use rifamycin as a monotherapy for TB. Toxicity includes urine, sweat, and tears having a red or orange discoloration, like the sweat in Gatorade ads. Rifamycins can also cause hepatotoxicity ranging from asymptomatic jaundice to hepatitis. They also decrease the half-life of other drugs, such as warfarin, corticosteroids, OCPs, oral hypoglycemics, digoxin, and methadone. Rifampin can also be used as prophylaxis after exposure to Neisseria meningitis or H-flu, especially type B, or as an add-on agent for the treatment of complicated MRSA infections, including prosthetic valve endocarditis. Rifaximin can be given for traveler's diarrhea and to prevent hepatic encephalopathy and cirrhosis by killing ammonia-producing bacteria. Next, let's discuss pyrazinamide, or PZA, which is given orally. The mechanism is unknown, but it is metabolized to its active form by intracellular pyrazinamidase. It is posited to inhibit fatty acid synthase 1 of mycobacterium tuberculosis. Also, its metabolite is active in acidic pH, that is, inside macrophage phagolysosomes containing intracellular mycobacterium tuberculosis. Pyrazinamide covers mycobacterium tuberculosis and mycobacterium africanum only. Mechanisms of resistance include mutations in gene encoding pyrazinamidase. Resistance develops predictably and rapidly, as it does with rifamycin, so you cannot use pyrazinamide as a monotherapy. Pyrazinamide toxicity includes hepatotoxicity and hyperuricemia because it competes with uric acid for renal excretion. Next, let's discuss ethambutol or EMB, which is given orally. The mechanism is unknown, but it is posited to inhibit arabinosyl transferase required for carbohydrate polymerization of the mycobacterial cell wall. Ethambutol covers mycobacterium tuberculosis and atypical mycobacteria, but there is variable resistance among mycobacterium avium complex. Mechanisms of resistance include arabinosyl transferase overexpression and random spontaneous genetic mutations. Ethambutol toxicity includes optic neuropathy, which causes red-green color blindness, optic neuritis, and a central scotoma. Let's move on from mycobacterial agents to discuss specific antiviral agents. We will begin with amantadine and remantadine, which are given PO. The mechanisms of amantadine and remantadine are number one, to target the M2 protein ion channel and block viral penetration and uncoating and number two, through unknown mechanisms to cause an increased release of dopamine from intact nerve terminals. Amantadine and romantadine cover influenza type A only, and mechanisms of resistance include alteration of the M2 protein. 90% of strains of influenza A and all strains of influenza B are resistant. Amantadine and romantadine toxicity includes ataxia, dizziness, slurred speech, though there are fewer CNS effects with rimantadine, which does not cross the blood-brain barrier. 
The dopaminergic activity of amantadine is used as a short-term treatment option to alleviate the akinesia, rigidity, and tremor associated with Parkinson's disease. Next, let's discuss zanamivir and oseltamivir, which are given orally or through inhalation. The mechanism is to inhibit viral neuraminidase and decrease the release of progeny virus. They cover influenza type A and type B. Resistance mechanisms are the alteration of neuraminidase, and toxicities include bronchospasm, specifically in zanamivir because it is an inhaled powder. Next, let's discuss ribavirin, which is given orally. The mechanism is to competitively inhibit inosine monophosphate dehydrogenase, or IMP dehydrogenase, causing decreased synthesis of guanine nucleotides for viral replication. Ribavirin covers RSV, which occurs in severe neonatal infections, as well as hep C, and it is used for hep C as monotherapy and combination therapy. It causes toxicities of hemolytic anemia as well as being a teratogen. Let's next discuss hepatitis C nucleotide analogs, which end in BUVIR, such as cefosbuvir, which is given orally. The mechanism is that it is a nucleotide analog that causes chain termination in RNA-dependent RNA synthesis. It covers hep C in combination therapy only. It is not used in monotherapy. And finally, cefosbuvir causes fatigue, headache, and nausea as its toxicities. Next, let's discuss hep C protease inhibitors, which end in the suffix PREVIR, such as simeprevir, telaprevir, and peritaprevir, which are oral drugs. Their mechanism is to inhibit the hepatitis C protease to prevent maturation of virions. They cover hep C in combination therapies only and are not used in monotherapy. And finally, simeprevir, telaprevir, and peritaprevir toxicities are photosensitivity and rash. Next, let's discuss interferons alpha, beta, and gamma, which can be given IV or subcutaneously. Their mechanisms are that they are glycoproteins that are normally produced by infected cells, but they have far-ranging immunomodulatory, inflammatory, and cellular growth effects. Number two, their cytokine activity blocks replication and enhances clearance of both RNA and DNA viruses through upregulation of antiviral gene transcriptional activity. Interferon A covers chronic Hep B and Hep C infections as well as Kaposi sarcoma. Interferon B is used in acute flares of multiple sclerosis. Interferon gamma is used in NADPH oxidase deficiency as well as chronic granulomatous disease. Interferon toxicity includes neutropenia, flu-like symptoms, and depression. Next, let's discuss acyclovir, valacyclovir, famcyclovir, gancyclovir, and valgancyclovir, which are all given PO, IV, and topically. Their mechanisms are that they are guanine analogs and they require initial 5' monophosphorylation by HSV and VZV thymidine kinase, as well as CMV viral kinase in the case of gancyclovir. The cellular kinases then create triphosphate nucleotide analogs. Then, guanosine triphosphate or GTP analogs preferentially inhibit viral DNA polymerase, causing chain terminations and disruption of viral replication. They cover HSV in the case of acyclovir, which treats active mucocutaneous lesions and encephalitis, and VZV in the case of famcyclovir, which treats herpes zoster infection, 
They also cover EBV and CMV, specifically in the case of gancyclovir, which can treat retinitis, colitis, and pneumonitis caused by these viruses. Mechanisms of resistance include the loss of viral thymidine kinase and altered CMV DNA polymerase. Toxicities include neutropenia, thrombocytopenia, which are both more common with gancyclovir, as well as crystal-induced renal toxicity. So, IV hydrate your patient aggressively when they are taking these drugs. Next, let's discuss phosgarnet, which is given IV. It is a pyrophosphate analog that competitively binds to viral DNA polymerase and inhibits viral replication in a similar manner to acyclovir and gancyclovir. It does not require activation by viral kinases. It covers gancyclovir-resistant CMV and acyclovir-resistant HSV. Mechanisms of resistance to phoscarnet include altered DNA polymerase, and phoscarnet toxicity includes nephrotoxicity, hypocalcemia, hypokalemia, and hypomagnesemia. Next, let's discuss HIV agents, or highly active antiretroviral therapy, also known as HAART. First, let's discuss the protease inhibitors, which include adazanavir, darunavir, lopinavir, ritonavir, indinavir, nelfinavir, and amprenavir, which are all given orally. Mechanisms of protease inhibitors are to inhibit the HIV-1 protease, specifically the PAL gene product, and prevent cleavage of polypeptide product from mRNA translation into functional subunits. Number two, they prevent viral maturation and budding of viral progeny. And number three, many protease inhibitors, in particular ritonavir, are potent inhibitors of hepatic microsomal enzyme, CYP3A4, the primary metabolic pathway for all protease inhibitors. Mechanisms of resistance include multiple genetic mutations and other multifactorial mechanisms. Protease inhibitor toxicity includes GI upset, lipodystrophy, hyperglycemia, hyperlipidemia, and crystal nephrolithiasis in the case specifically of indinavir. Because of its severe dose-limiting GI side effects, ritonavir is rarely used as a monotherapy to treat HIV. However, because of its strong inhibitory effect on the CYP3A4 microsomal system, it is often used to boost the plasma levels of other co-administered protease inhibitors by inhibiting their metabolism. These dual PI-boosted regimens are often used as an alternative first-line drug regimen for HAART. See Table 511. The proteases end in NAVIR. You can remember the mnemonic NEVIR tease a protease. CYP inducers, especially rifampin, can decrease protease inhibitor concentrations. Let's move on to discuss nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors, also known as NRTIs, which are all given orally. This class of drugs include lamivudine, emtricitabine, zidovudine, tenofovir, didanazine, abacavir, and stavudine. Mechanisms are number one, that they are a nucleoside analog that require intracellular phosphorylation to create triphosphate nucleotide analogs. Number two, Nucleotide analogs preferentially inhibit viral reverse transcriptase, causing chain terminations and disruptions of viral replication. Mechanisms of resistance include multiple genetic mutations as well as multifactorial mechanisms. NRTI toxicity includes mitochondrial toxicity, which manifests as peripheral neuropathy, pancreatitis, 
lipoatrophy and hepatic steatosis, as well as lactic acidosis and bone marrow suppression. Didanazine, in particular, is notable for pancreatitis. Next, let's discuss the non-nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors, or NNRTIs, which are also oral drugs. This class includes efavirenz, nevirapine, delaverdine, etravirine, and ripilverine. The mechanisms of these drugs are that they are allosteric inhibitors of viral reverse transcriptase, causing decreased affinity for nucleosides and disruption of viral replication. Mechanisms of resistance include multiple genetic mutations and multifactorial mechanisms, and toxicities include rash, such as erythema multiform, Stevens-Johnson syndrome, and toxic epidermal necrolysis, which are common to all drugs in this class, as well as sleep disturbances specifically for efavirenz, and hypersensitivity reaction and hepatotoxicity specifically for nevirapine. Delaverdine and efavirenz are teratogenic. Next, let's discuss fusion inhibitors, which are given sub-Q. This class includes enfuvertide. The mechanism of enfuvertide is to bind to viral GP41 subunit expressed on the outer envelope, preventing conformational change required for binding with CD4 during fusion and entry into CD4 cells. Mechanisms of resistance include mutations in GP41. The drug has no cross-resistance with NRTIs or NNRTIs, and a relatively low barrier to resistance, so it must be used as combination therapy. Toxicity of infuvertide includes hypersensitivity reactions, GI upset, and an increased risk for bacterial pneumonia. CCR5 receptor agonists are our next drug. This class includes Maraviroc. The mechanism of Maraviroc is to reversibly inhibit binding to the co-receptor CCR5 required simultaneously with CD4 binding during fusion and entry into CD4 cells. Resistance to Maraviroc includes the use of CXCR4 as a co-receptor. It has no cross-resistance with NRTIs or NNRTIs, and the toxicities of Maraviroc includes rash and hepatotoxicity. Next, we'll discuss our last class of HIV drugs, which are integrase inhibitors, and they are given orally. This class includes raltegravir. The mechanism of raltegravir is to inhibit activity of the integrase enzyme, preventing viral cDNA complexes from integrating with the host cell DNA. Resistance to raltegravir includes multiple genetic mutations, and it has no cross-resistance with NRTIs and NNRTIs and it has a low barrier to resistance, so again we must use it as combination therapy. And finally, raltegravir toxicity is actually generally very well tolerated in limited clinical experience. However, it may cause myopathy with elevated creatine kinase. That's it for the HIV drugs, and next we'll move on to our final class of drugs, the antifungals. Let's begin by discussing the systemic antifungals for systemic infections. This class includes amphotericin B, flucytosine 5, azoles, and echinocandins. Let's start by discussing amphotericin B. For a long time, amphotericin B was the only antifungal agent used for systemic treatment. It is now falling out of favor because newer agents are less toxic. Like many antifungals, amphotericin B exploits the fact that the lipid composition of fungi cell membranes differs from mammalian cells. They contain ergosterol instead of cholesterol. Amphotericin B binds ergosterol and forms permeable pores in the cell membrane. 
The mechanism of amphotericin B, again, is to form ergosterol-associated pores in cell membranes. Its coverage is broad, including the clinically significant yeasts, Candida albicans, Cryptococcus neoformans, the endemic mycoses, Histoplasmoblastomyces, and Coccidoides, and pathogenic molds, including Aspergillus and agents of mucormycosis. However, because of its toxicity, it is generally reserved for life-threatening infections, particularly for susceptible patients such as the immunosuppressed, to reduce fungal load. Once that is accomplished, patients are usually switched to a less toxic substitute for maintenance and prevention of relapse. Only a few organisms are resistant to amphotericin B because of either reduced or modified ergosterol. Immediate toxic effects with infusion include fever, chills, dyspnea, muscle spasms, vomiting, headache, and hypotension. These can be prevented with a slow infusion or a pre-medication. Long-term effects include renal damage, which includes irreversible damage of the renal tubules, as well as hepatotoxicity and anemia as a result of low erythropoietin from renal damage. And finally, neurotoxicity in the case that it is administered intrathecally. Next, let's discuss flucytosine. 5-flucytosine is taken up by the fungal enzyme cytosine permease, then metabolized into its active forms, which inhibit RNA and DNA synthesis. Human cells are unable to convert 5-flucytosine to its active forms and thus are protected. 5-flucytosine covers Cryptococcus neoformans, some candida species, chromoblastomycosis as well. It is always used in combination because of its synergistic effects, usually with amphotericin B for cryptococcal meningitis or itraconazole for chromoblastomycosis. Toxicity of 5-flucytosine includes being converted by human intestinal flora to the anti-neoplastic agent 5-fluorouracil or 5-FU, which is toxic to the bone marrow, causing anemia, thrombocytopenia, and leukopenia. It is less toxic to the liver and and intestines. Next, let's discuss azoles. The mechanism of azoles is inhibition of the fungal CYP450 enzymes, which inhibits production of ergosterol. Each of the azoles also has varying degrees of inhibition of the mammalian CYP450 enzymes, which determines toxicity, the most toxic being ketoconazole, which is no longer used systemically for that reason. Coverage of azoles is broad. Itraconazole is the drug of choice for infections caused by dimorphic fungi such as histoplasma, blastomyces, and sporothrix, and for dermophytoses and oncomycosis. Fluconazole has less interaction with mammalian CYP450 enzymes, so it can be tolerated in higher doses. It also has higher bioavailability and CSF penetrance than itraconazole, and it is therefore the drug of choice for cryptococcal meningitis, both treatment and prophylaxis. It is also used for coccidioidal meningitis and mucocutaneous candidiasis. Voriconazole has similar coverage to itraconazole, can penetrate the CSF, and is the drug of choice for invasive aspergillosis. Posaconazole is the newest of the triazoles and has the broadest coverage, including being the only one with activity against the agents of mucormycosis. Currently, it is only licensed as salvage therapy for invasive aspergillosis and prophylaxis of fungal infections in induction chemotherapy for leukemia. Resistance is rising to azole drugs. As a group, GI upset and hepatotoxicity are the main side effects. Itraconazole has less bioavailability when taken with rifamycin, such as rifampin. Voriconazole is an inhibitor of mammalian CYP3A4. 
so certain medications must be reduced in dosage when starting voriconazole. Examples include cyclosporin, tacrolimus, and HMG-CoA reductase inhibitors. Other toxicities of azoles include rash and visual disturbances, which are common. Our last systemic antifungal that we will discuss are echinocandins. These are the newest class of antifungal agents. Their mechanism is the disruption of the fungal cell wall through the inhibition of synthesis of beta-1,3-glucan, similar to beta-lactam antibiotics in bacteria. In terms of coverage, caspofungin is licensed for candidal infections, both disseminated and mucocutaneous, as well as antifungal prophylaxis for neutropenic fever and salvage therapy for disseminated aspergillosis. Mycofungin and anadulafungin can also be used for candida and are licensed for anti-candidal prophylaxis in bone marrow transplants. Echinocandin toxicity includes minor GI upset and flushing. Don't give it with cyclosporin because it causes elevated LFTs. Finally, we will discuss oral antifungals for mucocutaneous infections and then topical antifungals for mucocutaneous infections. Let's start with oral antifungals. The drugs in this category are useful because they are keratophilic. That is, they preferentially deposit in tissues containing keratin, such as skin, hair, and nails. First drug we will discuss is griseofulvin. The mechanism is that it deposits in the skin where it binds to keratin, protecting the skin from new infection. So it must be administered for several weeks to allow new hair and skin to grow. It interferes with the microtubule function needed for mitosis. Griseofulvin coverage is only used for dermophytoses, and it is not first-line treatment for these because of toxicities, which include serum sickness such as allergy, hepatitis, and interactions with warfarin and phenobarbital. Griseofulvin is also a CYP450 inducer and is teratogenic. Next, let's discuss terbinafine. The mechanism is that it is keratophilic just like griseofulvin, but unlike griseofulvin, it is fungicidal through inhibition of squalene epoxidase. This leads to the buildup of squalene, which is toxic to the fungal cell. All allylamine antifungals have this mechanism. Terbinafine is used for dermatophytoses, especially onychomycosis. Terbinafine has hepatic toxicity, GI upset, and headache as bad side effects. The last part of this chapter covers topical antifungals for mucocutaneous infections. The drugs covered in this section are nystatin, topical azoles, and topical allylamines. Beginning with nystatin, the mechanism, like amphotericin B, is that it binds to ergosterol and forms pores in fungal cell membranes. See figure 593 for a diagram of the site of action. Nystatin coverage is that it is used mostly for candidal infections, especially oral thrush, vulvovaginal candidiasis, and intertriginous candidal infections. It is extremely toxic if used parenterally, and so it is not used parenterally. But because it isn't well absorbed across the skin or mucous membranes, when it is used topically it has few side effects. It can be taken orally, but has a foul taste. Clotrimazole is a better tasting alternative, which we will discuss next. Next, let's discuss topical azoles, the final portion of the microbiology chapter. We previously discussed azoles in more general terms, and the two used for mucocutaneous infections are clotrimazole and meconazole. They're mostly used for vulvovaginal candidiasis and oral thrush, because they can be taken orally and are not as bad tasting as nystatin. 
They are also used for dermophytic infections when applied as a cream, for example, in cases of tinea corporis, tinea cruris, and tinea pedis. A shampoo form of ketoconazole is available for seborrheic dermatitis and tinea versicolor. And finally, let's discuss topical alilamines. The mechanism was previously discussed with terbinafine, and both terbinafine and naftaphine can be used topically for tinea cruris and tinea corporis. Congratulations, you have made it through the microbiology chapter of CRUSH Step 1. I'm going to sign off, but I will say that it's been a pleasure narrating this, and I hope that this has been helpful to you. I wish you all the best with your studies, both on the boards and in your medical school curriculum. With that, we wrap up today's episode of the Crush Step 1 podcast. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated, the publishing company behind Crush Step 1, as well as all of my other books, for allowing us to put out this book in podcast format. Thank you for joining us, and please check out our other chapters.